Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 10 is where we're going to begin this morning. And pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the King James and New King James Version says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we've talked through several topics throughout this series of The Bridge. We've talked about families. We've talked about working relationships. We've talked about careers. We've talked about sports even last week. And one of the key concepts that we've talked about throughout this whole series is if God is trying to get us the kingdom of heaven, what does that physically look like while we're here on this earth? If God is trying to get his kingdom to manifest where we see his kingdom up there to manifest right here, how does that work in the realm that we live? Well, the best analogy that we can come up with is the is an amazing catch in a football game. Now, the thing about an amazing catch is God would have to be the quarterback. This would have to represent the kingdom. You, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, would represent a receiver that is catching the kingdom of God. But the problem is that we face in this world, on every sports field, you have an offense, but you also have a defense. And so when there's a defense on the field, you understand that they're trying to stop you from making the catch, or in our case, they're trying to stop us from bringing the kingdom of God from the realm of heaven into the earthly realm where we're located here on this earth. The big difference is the Bible says in Ephesians that God has seated us in Christ in heavenly places so that if we're seated with Christ in heavenly places now while we're still living on this earth, we have complete access to the kingdom of God and the devil can't touch it. Amen. As we conclude this series called The Bridge, I want to bring up a certain movie that many of you have seen and a lot of you have seen it over and over and over again. And one of the famous lines in that movie was this, it's show me the money. Who can name that movie? Jerry Maguire. We're going to talk about this morning, show me the money. And what we're going to talk about is God's kingdom influence on your finances. The title of this morning's message is exactly that. It's show me the money. And the God wants to bring his kingdom influence into the realm of your financial situation. Now, there's a specific verse in Matthew 6, 24. And the Bible says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. I want you to catch this phrase. It says, no one can serve God and mammon. See, everybody has always interpreted this as money. And it does, to a sense, interpret as money. But there's a different word that the Bible actually uses in the Aramaic scripture, the actual what was spoken in the time of Jesus. And it was not money. We've interpreted it as money. Money is the result of this thing called mammon. But we're going to figure out really how no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. and You'll be loyal to one and you'll despise the other. And it says no one can serve both God and mammon. So it's not God versus money. It's God versus the spirit of greed, envy, self-absorption, and all these things over here. So it's never in your life ever been a thing of God versus money. It's always been the spirit that comes along or the controlling power that comes along with the money which is though many Christians struggle on Sunday mornings when the offering plate goes by you're struggling not between God versus money you're struggling versus the spirit of God versus the spirit that rests on money now in this message I want us to realize a couple things and we're going to start out very basic I'm going to ask you this question is money bad a lot of people will say well pastor you know what the Bible says that money is the root of all evil and no the Bible does not say that The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. 
And so if there's a love for money, that's not a love necessarily for money that you have. It's a, it's a spirit that rests upon money that you are addicted to or hooked up with rather than the spirit of God. I'm going to tell you this morning that money is not a bad thing. In fact, money is not a good thing. Money is actually what the dictionary calls an amoral thing. It's not good and it's not bad. Money is a lot like a thermostat. And this is a thermostat is not hot or cold. It just tells you whether it's hot or cold. So if you go outside and look at the thermostat, you're looking at it's like, wow, that thermostat's hot. No, it's not. It's telling you that it's hot. Or if you go outside and it's getting to the, the cold weather months <laughs> and the thermostat says it's cold, it's not really cold. It's the thermostat's telling you that it's cold. So the thermostat in itself is not cold or hot. The thermostat is amoral. It's an active indicator of what's going on in the elements around it. Money is simply this. It's an active indicator of the thermostat of your heart. A lot of people look at professional athletes and they came up out of poverty and obscurity and then they make all these millions of dollars and then they squander it on all this junk and they say, money ruined those people. No, money is amoral. It's not good or bad. See, the only thing money enabled them to do is what was really the desire of their heart in the first place. Because money also enabled a lot of these other professional athletes to do great things, to start amazing foundations that supply a lot of needs to the area of America that needs it. So money is not good or bad. The only thing money does is shows you the temperature of your heart. And so if it shows you the temperature of your heart, that means when you get an extra thousand dollars this afternoon, amen, amen. And the first thing you do is question, hmm, what should I do with this money? Should I tithe or not tithe? Or what should I do this? And you already start questioning, you need to look at your heart. Because what you decide to do in that immediate response is the exact temperature of your heart. How many of y'all have ever been going through a bank drive-through and they've given you too much money back? And you drove off and said, oh, that's the blessing of God. Or you're at a restaurant and they give you too much change back. Oh, that's the blessing of God. It's not the blessing of God if it costs somebody else their job. See, a lot of people will find money somewhere on the ground and pick it up and stick it in their pocket and say, oh, it's the blessing of God, not when it costs somebody else their dinner and they're looking for that $100 that fell out of their wallet. So I want you to understand that money in itself is not good and money in itself is not bad, but money will strongly show you the quality of your heart. And so we gotta figure out, first of all, that money is just an inanimate object. Literally, the money that we have in the United States is no different than this paper right here. If this is the same as a $100 bill, and it's not good and it's not bad, what makes money have this bad connotation of being good or bad? Well, it's the motive of the heart and it's the people that use it and it's how they use it and it's how not money corrupts people, but it's how we allow money to dictate what we would really do if we had all the money in the world. See, I hear people say this all the time, Pastor, if I had $1,000, I would definitely give 100 of it away. If you have $10 and you won't give one, if you have 1,000, you won't give 100. The Jesus principle in the whole Bible is you're faithful with little, then I'll give you much. See, a lot of people are asking God for much when you had not been faithful with the little. Money is not good or bad. Money just simply shows you the attitude of the heart, the aspects of the heart. It shows you whether your heart is hot for the things of God or cold for the things of God. It shows you what would you really do if a million dollars were dropped in your pocket right now today. See, a lot of people say this, oh, I would go on a mission trip and I'd go around the world and do world missions in a heartbeat if I had the money. That's a particular phrase that we're going to address right now. And we're going to find out what that phrase really means when we talk about what is mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic term that means riches. Now, how did this term come about? 
There was a group of people called the Assyrians. They spoke Aramaic. They were the neighboring people to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were a culture built on greed, wealth, and self-sufficiency. And do you remember back in Genesis chapter number 11, a story called the Tower of Babel? In the Tower of Babel, there was a group of people called the Babylonians who built the Tower of Babel that said, this is a tower that we're going to build, and it will reach to the heavens, and we do not need God's help, and we will do this on ourselves, and we will become like God. These same group of people that built the Tower of Babel, their same influence of self-absorption, of self-sufficiency, of greed, and of pride, this same group of people carried on all the way down the line. The Assyrians moved into them, next to them in a neighboring country, and the Assyrians spoke Aramaic. Now, Aramaic was the main language that took place that time was Jesus was walking around. The term of mammon easily gets interpreted as money, but money is not so much the issue as the spirit that rests upon money. Now, I want you to begin to address in your life whether you trust in God or you trust in what the Bible talks about in the riches of this world. If you trust in God or do you trust in the riches of this world, how many of you have ever said this? If I just had a million dollars, all my problems would go away. Actually, you'd have a million more little problems. <laughs> By saying that question, you're putting your trust in money, not in a God who can take care of your problems. Because you're saying money's the answer to your problems, not God. In fact, if you became a millionaire today, you'd have so many more problems <laughs> you wouldn't know how to deal with them. You would have friends and family coming out of the woodwork to say they're related to you that have no business even knowing you. Now, here's another question. Have you ever said, man, so-and-so, our neighbor, gosh, they always have something new. When are we ever gonna get something new? Or you're trying to keep up with the Joneses is a more common phrase. If you always find yourself competing against somebody else who seems to have more money than you, you have a problem with mammon, the spirit of self-sufficiency or greed that rests upon money in your life. How many of you ever dealt with this issue? You've got to have the latest and the greatest. A new phone comes out, you got to be first in line. iPhone 70 is going to come out in a week. Okay, some of y'all will get that in a minute. They come out with a new phone every two days, okay? iPhone 70 is about to come out. Samsung Universe instead of Galaxy will probably come out. And you think, I've got to have the latest and I've got to have the greatest. Why? Because you are getting self-worth from the items you carry rather than the God that's on the inside of you. You're getting self-worth from the things you got in your pockets rather than the God who's sustaining you on the inside of you. See, many people have a problem with mammon and they don't really realize it because we think, oh, I don't have a money issue. I tithe and I give, which is great. I'm glad you tithe. I'm glad you give. I want you to keep doing that. But I pray that this will free you up to live a life free of the spirit of greed, pride, and self-sufficiency not just you have the ability to walk into church and say, I tithe and I give. In fact, I know many people who tithe and give, and they're the greediest people I know. So just because you tithe and you give doesn't mean you've accomplished this. If what you have gives you self-worth, then you have a problem with mammon. If what you have gives you self-worth, then you have a problem with mammon. See, many of us, we got to have a new vehicle every two or three years because it defines who you are. Some of us, if you don't have the newest brand name clothes that when they come out, you're in trouble because that's where you get your self-worth from. Some of you ladies, if you don't have the latest and the greatest hairstyle, oh goodness, something's wrong. I'm just, my husband's not gonna love me anymore. He saw you when you woke up this morning and said he loved you. <laughs> How you look when you leave the salon ain't gonna make that much of a difference. But if the things you do are what give you self-worth, you're in trouble. Or the things you can buy, if it, was, if it gives you self-worth, you're in trouble. And I probably shouldn't say this, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway, and so y'all perk your ears up now. The last one. If you think money will bring you peace and joy and happiness, some of you, your marriages are this. 
Pastor, if he would just make more money, we would be happy. No, you wouldn't, because that money would get spent too. Pastor, if she would just get a job, we wouldn't be so financially stretched. No, you wouldn't be happy. See, because the only source of true happiness is Christ. And it's Christ that lives on the inside of you. And it's Christ that's in your life. And it's the God of all mankind that lives in here. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave that lives on the inside of you that brings complete and divine happiness. So if you are not happy right now, money is not the answer to your problem. Money is not going to take care of your needs. In the biblical sense of the word mammon, mammon is this. It's the spirit that relies on money in our fallen, broken world. Your money has a spirit that rests on it. It either has the spirit of God or it has the spirit of mammon by default. We're going to find out in just a minute how do you get the spirit of God to rest upon your money. How many of you love the verse of scripture that says everything you do it will prosper? Now, I love that verse. How many of you love the, book, the, the verse in Malachi 3, 10 through 12, where it says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. You don't like that part. But then it says, there'll be meat in my house. Test me, and this says the Lord Almighty. And see if I, we love this part. See if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I'll pour out so much of a blessing on you that you don't have room enough for it. I'll prevent the pest from devouring your crops. The vines of your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And all the nations of the earth will call you blessed. And we love those things. But the problem is we never can seem to attain it. And this is where God comes in and says this right here. Show me the money. Everybody say this with me. Show me the money. money. Do y'all remember that video clip? The same thing that just happened with y'all happened with uh, Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire. See, Rod Tidwell in the movie Jerry Maguire is a professional sports player. He's a receiver for uh, for the Cardinals on this movie. And he calls his agent and he's trying to get his agent to get him this big contract And he says, Jerry, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen good. And he's like, all right, I'm listening. He said, I want you to say one phrase after me. And he said, all right, I'll say whatever you want me to say. And he said, show me the money. And Jerry says, show me the money. And Rod said, no, no, no. I said, show me the money. And Jerry said, show you the money. And he said, no, Jerry, you're not getting it. He said, Jerry. And then he starts getting his little dance on, you know. And then he starts dancing around saying, show me the money. And then Jerry says, show you the money a little bit louder. He said, no, Jerry, you're not getting it. And then they go on and they go on with this dialogue. And finally at the end, it's like they're both screaming, show me the money, show me the money. And they're crazy excited. The thing about it is God wants you to get as excited about money as he is excited about money. See, I believe with all my heart God's crazy excited about financially blessing you. I really believe that. The problem is he can't bless when the spirit of mammon still controls your life because you won't use it for kingdom. You'll use it for your own purposes. So when God's saying, show me the money, what God is saying is this. He's saying, I need you when I bless you financially through your workplace for you to bring back, listen to this, a tenth. You can have 90. I need you to bring back a tenth. Why? Because now tithing becomes a benefit, not a burden. Tithing now becomes a benefit, not a burden because of this. When you bring back a tenth and you bring it and you say, God, here's the tenth that you have asked for. God doesn't just redeem the 10%. He redeems the other 90%. Do you remember what I just said a minute ago? I said, but there's a spirit that rests on your money. It's either the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon by default. When you do not tithe, the spirit of mammon by default rests on your money. And so therefore, the rest of your money and you are controlled by greed, self-sufficiency. And you ask this question, Pastor, if I tithe, how, can I, how, how would God let my little baby go without shoes to school? 
He won't. He will take care of your every need. He's just trying to get you to trust in him rather than trust in mammon or the broken culture of this world, how we operate in. Now, in this process, God wants to bring back. God wants to redeem the money that comes into your hand. And like we said earlier, money is not good and money is not bad, but it can be used for good and bad purposes. How would you like for every bit of your money, whether you give it all to the church or not, to be used for the kingdom of God and have God's blessing on it? The only way that can happen is for you to go into the presence of God and bring back his tent and let him redeem the rest of it. I know that we start thinking about tithing. We're thinking, oh, the great battle, the great test. And actually, you are 100% right. The number 10 in the Bible means to test. The number 10 in the Bible means to test. It's a time of testing. I want you to listen to these examples. In the Old Testament, Pharaoh was tested with 10 plagues. It was a test. Let my people go. He was tested 10 times with 10 different plagues. Jacob, in the Old Testament, he was about to to marry. And his father-in-law tested him 10 times. He tested his character. He tested his integrity 10 times with 10 different wage changes before he could marry his daughter. Number 10 is a time of testing. Daniel was tested for 10 days. Do you remember when he said, we will not eat this food, king, but give us 10 days to prove to you It's a time of testing. Jesus goes on to talk about it in the New Testament. You have the 10 virgins being tested for their preparedness. Five were ready, five were not. The Bible says in the book of Revelations, chapter number two and verse number 10, 10 days of testing are mentioned in that verse. So yes, when the tithe comes, it's a test. It's a test on whether you're gonna serve God or you're gonna serve mammon. You're not serving money. It's are you going to serve God or are you going to serve mammon? You're choosing which God you serve. And we love that verse in Joshua, choose this day who you will serve, whether it's the God from beyond the rivers or as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And the church loves that verse. We quote it. We got it all hanging in our houses. But if you're really going to serve the Lord, you cannot, like the Bible says in Matthew, it says you cannot serve both God and mammon. You are going to love one and hate the other, and you'll be loyal to one, and you'll despise the other. Listen, I never have an issue about turning in my taxes every year because I don't serve mammon. My tax return isn't dependent on the United States government. So I have no trouble turning in every dollar I made. I have no trouble when I get back a tax return because I'm not dictated. My lifestyle is not dictated by that. Now, I bring that up for a reason. One of the biggest tests every American faces is every year at tax time. Do I turn in all this stuff? What all can I write off? How much can I get away with? Man, that government is just a crook. But here's the deal. When you do not serve mammon and you serve God, it does not matter what the United States government and its economy does. We live by a whole different operating system. We live by what I call heavenomics, not economics. We live by how the kingdom of God is prospering, not how the kingdom of this earth is prospering. We live by how good God's doing, not how good the American culture is doing. We live by how good God's doing. The last time I still checked, his streets were still paved with gold. His gates were made of pearls. He had a sea that's made of crystal, amen, thank you, Jesus. And the Bible says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, amen. So what you so worried about what the White House does when you should be worried about what God's house does? See, the problem is you think the wrong house is running the American culture. You need to get back to understanding that the house of God runs the American culture. And when the people in the house of God will start acting like Christians in the house of God, will have greater influence on the house in Washington. And when we begin to be in the house of God, 
and serve God and not mammon, then God will be powerful to move in our life. So God's saying this this morning. Trust me. Show me the money. Watch what he can do. Watch how God can completely turn around your financial situation. I can even dare to say less than 24 hours. I'll give you a biblical example. Do you remember in the Old Testament when they were about to leave Egypt? I mean, get this in your head. 400 years of slavery, 400 years of poverty, 400 years of abuse, 400 years of starvation, 400 years of being captured, and 400 years of being beaten and enslaved, and you have absolutely nothing because the government had taken it all. 400 years of this, God said, get up, put your sandals on your feet, take your staff in your hand, put your belt on, we're getting ready to go. And listen, the Bible says in Psalms, they left Egypt laden with silver and gold, and there was not one sick or feeble among them. See, God turned a whole nation that was in utter poverty and captivity and slavery to be the wealthiest nation on the earth when they walked out. Egypt was the wealthiest nation on earth at the time. They were slaves to the wealthiest nation on earth. They got up, they walked out with all the wealthiest nation's money. God can turn your captivity around in less than 24 hours. You gotta trust him, not mammon. You gotta trust him and not the things of this earth. To do that, you gotta understand this one point. We've gotta catch the right vision. You can forget everything else I've set up to this point if you want to. None of this is going to happen in your life until you catch the right vision. And I want to read a verse of scripture to you, and I want to see where your mind goes. Given it will be given back unto you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back unto you. People love that verse. The problem is the church, especially in America, has caught the wrong vision of that verse. We've caught the vision of getting and not the vision of giving. See, the problem with the spirit of mammon is you can even think you're doing right and it can have you deceived into doing wrong. See, a lot of people read that verse and say, give, and it's gonna be given back unto me, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And the King James says, men will give unto my bosom. Yes, thank you, Jesus. See, you're already thinking about getting and you've lost the vision of giving. The problem with the church today is we've lost the vision of giving. We've lost the vision of pouring out there. We've lost the vision of expanding the kingdom. When did, when we start giving, it become about you getting and not about expanding the kingdom of God? I had to sincerely repent over a year and a half ago when I went before God and I, we began to pray about our finances and God said, you've got the wrong vision completely. And I began to search my heart and I said, God, show me where I'm wrong. He said, you've changed this verse about giving into a verse about getting. And I had to repent and I said, oh God, forgive me. And God said, there's nothing wrong with you getting because I'm gonna bring it back unto you. It's my promise. But when you give, is about getting Rather than giving to expand my kingdom, you're giving not because you love me. You're giving out of selfishness or the spirit of mammon. You're giving out of selfishness to get back, not to expand the kingdom of God. Listen, every time me and my wife put our tithe check and our giving check in, we believe that it's redeemed and all our money is blessed after that because we've already talked about that. But here's how we give. God, we're giving for one purpose, and that's to expand the kingdom of God. We pray, God, that when we give every penny of this, your kingdom is expanded exponentially. God, we pray that when we drop this tithe check in the offering bucket today, that when we drop this giving check into the Shine Brighter, Shine Farther Vision Fund, that every penny of it is this. You've given us a vision to give, and we want to give. And Lord, the reason why we're believing for an increase is so we can give more, not anything else. The thing about it is, church, we've caught the wrong vision. Even, Damon, in our preaching, in our teaching, especially in America, we've started developing a self-serving style gospel, where it's how much can Joel get back? Well, you want to know why God gave? He gave because he loved you. That's why he gave. It doesn't say in John 3, 16, he gave his one and only begotten son because he was going to get back a whole bunch of stuff. 
said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen on this. I want you to grab hold of the vision of giving and watch how God can begin to supply every one of your needs. I want you to begin to grab hold of the vision of giving and giving for one purpose because you love God and to expand his kingdom rather than how much you're looking for a raise at next year's evaluation time. I want you to begin to give and give with a heart that says, God, I'm giving because you already gave everything that heaven had to offer to me through your one and only son, Jesus Christ. God, I'm beginning to give like a believer should give, not like a needy person should give. I want you to remember this verse. We love the verse that says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We love that verse in Philippians, amen? I mean, I love that verse. The problem is we haven't read five verses previous The five verses previous, Paul's addressing the church and it says, not one church shared with me in the area of giving except you. And then you gave even when you did not have the ability to give. And then it goes on to say, and now my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, a lot of churches stand on this promise of God supplying all your need when you haven't even done your part of giving. And if we want the kingdom of heaven to begin to transform the earth that we live in, the church is gonna have to get a different vision and it's not so how much we can get, it's how much can we give. You need to, and I hesitate on saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. In your five-year budget, that's why I hesitate on saying it, because they're like, five-year budget, what are you talking about? In your five-year budget and your five-year plan for the next five years of how you're going to be debt-free and get out of debt so you can give more and live life in abundance to the full till it overflows. In your five-year plan, you need to have strategic increases placed in that plan that you're planning on giving more. Strategically place it in there. Honey, when January rolls around, we're not giving 10%. We're giving 11. And the church is silent. Come on, y'all, give me an amen. (laughs) See, God wants you to get excited about his money. (laughs) And then in the next year, we're not giving 11%. We were blessed, we're giving 13. Some of you are like, oh, I was going for 12. (laughs) No, see, you don't understand. You put a lifestyle of kingdom giving in, it's gonna come back to you. You'll have the ability to give more. The biggest desire of my wife and I's heart is to be able to give freely. That's what we're striving to get out of debt as a couple because our biggest desire is we wanna give freely. We would love for our mortgage payment every month to be a seed that we could sow into a ministry. I mean, think about it. If your house payment you could give to the kingdom of God every month, well, think of, what, think of how much freedom would be in the house of God. There wouldn't be a worry about paving a parking lot. I mean, the, the money's there. There's not a worry about sending not five people to Oklahoma. We can, all, we can all go for a week because we don't have a house payment to worry about going to a job to have to pay for. Uh, amen. Do you see what I'm talking about, how kingdom must begin to infiltrate our finances? The problem is we've been taught all our lives to be dependent on a world system of wealth on a world system of operating when the world system of operating has always been contrary to the kingdom of God and how he operates. I'll close with this. This is what I mean. The Bible says, if you need something, you give. If you have a need, you begin to sow a seed and watch God begin to multiply. The world says, if you have a need, you go to the bank and get a loan. The Bible says, if you you find your brother in lack, Give unto him. And don't expect repayment. Give unto him because you have the ability to do. The world says, if you see your brother in lack, I'm giving you $1,000. Here's a loan. Sign these papers to hold you accountable. If you don't, you'll go to jail. Which system are we going to start operating in? How do you operate in a kingdom system 
when the whole, everything in the world revolves around an ungodly system that we're in. You begin to apply the principles of God now, and he begins to make a way where there is no way. 